think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 19 of the boys in short pants, the 20th episode. We've made it 20 episodes, which uh, I kind of never thought we'd, we'd actually make it that far. Anniversary edition. Anniversary I, edition. I feel like we claim anniversary edition like every five episodes. Yeah, so you know. Like, hey, it's the 25th centennial. <laughs> they, the... they sort of matter less as, as it gets going, but you know. Mildly private. Anyway, uh, today with us we've got uh, David Mosscrop in the uh, in the studio, as it were, uh, to talk a bit about the BC election. David's on a on a swing through uh, on a swing through through Ontario, or Dr. Mosscrop right now. I mean, technically, technically, S- Professor Mosscrop is that? That's when you have a job. I'm not teaching. I'm just a I'm just a doctor of philosophy. <laughs> so don't I can't help you. <laughs> Don't ask me to help you. I had a condition I was hoping you could help me with after this. If it's if existential, existential dread. <laughs> Actually, I can't. I, even if it's existential dread, I can't help you. We can you. sort of push you towards the right questions, though. Uh, yes. so, <laughs> so, yeah, the the province of, of British Columbia, beautiful British Columbia, as it were, um, had an election a scant few weeks ago, week and a half maybe, that ended in a, a deadlock. Uh, which has not happened in some time, with not not even just a normal deadlock, but a deadlock in which some key seats might actually still flip. It's basically uh, the stupidest situation imaginable. It's so like, good. It's so if, good. If you'd sat through and been like, how can I make this provincial election, like this crazy, stupidest thing, that is that is what you'd come up with. Yeah, like you go into the studio executive's office with this, and they just say, get out. <laughs> <laughs> this, is so, this is so unrealistic. This will never happen. Yeah. Uh, so, David, you want to, like... Fill us in a little bit on what's been happening for the last like week and a half since the actual. Oh yeah, I, before before we sure. do that, let's let's fill in with the tally as it, as things stand. As it stands right now, the BC Liberals have won forty three seats. Yeah, have been declared elected. Yeah, the well, BC NDP candidates in forty. Yes, you're correct. Yeah. Yeah, the final <laughs> count. The final count we'll is not see. in yet. We'll uh, the BC NDP has won forty one seats yeah. in a provisional provisional way. And the Greens have won three. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in an 87-seat legislature, that means that the BC Liberals are one seat short of a majority, mm-hmm. and uh, the NDP and Greens theoretically could form a coalition or a supply and confidence agreement yeah. to uh, to get them across the line. So yeah. with that background, what's happened in the last, like, 13 days or however long it's been? It's been the most disappointing anarchy. <laughs> I've no looting. Ever, uh, no, no, we don't. No, I mean it's not like the Canucks. Exactly. In the playoffs, <laughs> this, is just, this is just the government. Yeah. It's not NHL playoffs. Come on. Yeah. So we're waiting. So we have a bargain in BC where you can vote from any riding, and they'll mail your ballot back to where it should be. And so we wait for a couple weeks to get the final results. Usually that doesn't matter because we have a majority government, comfortable. This time it might. So there's going to be the absentee ballots are going to be counted. There's a ton of them. 176,000 or something like that represents almost 10% oh, of the yeah there's a lot. a lot the ton it represents almost you know something like 10% of, yeah. the, of the total vote so it's like a lot uh, and then we've got uh, two recounts in one in Vancouver Falls Creek because there right. was some alleged irregularities the numbers, the numbers they, were they weren't adding up although it was a small discrepancy that's not going to change that'll yeah that was like a 500 vote yeah, margin that's also, not yeah. going to change uh, and, and in fact it was the green who requested both the Greens and the, and the NDP requested a recount, and it was the Greens who got it. So it wasn't even the NDP who finished second who got the recount approved. So, I mean, they, maybe they would have, but they, they said yes to the Greens. Hmm. And then the other is Courtney Comox, which, right. you know, was settled by nine votes. Which, by the way, look, let me say this. Everybody should vote. Voting is important. I actually happen to support mandatory voting. But when someone says this is evidence that every vote counts, 
That's still wrong because eight of those votes actually didn't <laughs> weren't decisive. So quit whoever you. I know I know you're out there listening. Quit saying things like that because it's not helping. Uh, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna do that. It, so Kevin Milligan, who's a, an economist at UBC, yeah, he's a really we, smart we guy. Touched on this last. He's week. great. Yeah. He ran some some as best as you can with these things. Some projections, and it looks like it probably is not gonna flip. Yeah. Probably end up with the the liberals in a minority situation. Probably propped up by the Greens. Yeah. Which is gonna be great. Because nobody wants that. No, yeah, that's the outcome. It's like it's bad. So, you, you say that. Like, is there a path to coalition or to supply and confidence for the NDP? I don't think so. Not well, not initially. There's right. a. I mean, look, Christy Clark gets the first crack. She gets no the first what. crack. She has the most seats. She has the most votes. Now, I think that's a bullshit argument for saying therefore I should govern. That's not how Westminster works. But whatever. She has the most seats. She has the most votes. And from what I can tell, um, my sense is that Weaver, Andrew Weaver, the leader of the BC Greens, would prefer to work with Christy Clark. Yes. And though for, for his personal voters, reasons. Though his voters, I think probably there's more overlap between They desperately do not want that. Yeah. Both the NDP doesn't, supporters don't want it and the Green supporters don't want it by the numbers I saw were in the 80s, I think yeah. the mid to high 80s. So really nobody wants that. Um, but it's most likely going to happen. And then, so the path for the NDP to end up with the Greens would be a sort of Ontario 1985 situation right. where for whatever reason the government falls and the LG says, okay, well, you two bozos give a shot. So Weaver has sort of put some demands on the table. Do you want to talk about what his demands so far have been? Yeah, so my read on that is he's, he's playing a long game. Yeah. And it's how can we keep the Greens viable? Spoiler. You probably can't, but okay, let's let's pretend that you can. Uh, he wants proportional representation, which might end up on the ballot. Yeah. Uh, Again. He wants it without. Uh, yeah. God help us all. He wants it without a referendum, or perhaps with a referendum after a few years to, to confirm it. The liberals aren't going to go Cullen for that. The gambit. Not going to happen. Yeah. Exactly. It's not going to happen. Uh, maybe it ends up in on the ballot in a general. I think it's going to lose because it's not salient. It was, you know, people were paying attention to that in the late 90s, early 2000s in yeah. BC, because in 96, the Liberals had lost despite having more votes. Right. Uh, you know, which people really don't like, and understandably. It uh, feels wrong, right? It feels yeah. unfair and unjust or whatever. That hasn't happened. And then uh, the second thing he wants is money out of politics in BC. Right. Which want, has been sort of a, is, a huge issue over the course yeah. of the campaign. Depending yeah, on we got all called out by parties. the New York Times. And so, of yeah. course, in very Canadian style... The Americans call us out on it, and we start paying attention. Yeah, I love that they called it the Wild West of Canadian political financing. A headline that had been used, the exact same yeah, headline, had literally been used for Saskatchewan, oh. literally three months before. It was great. I, I got a good chuckle out of that. It's you know, it, it was a little lazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually, that's the thing. Canadian media is like never be afraid of recycling a narrative. No one yeah. else is. So well, here's a quick, a little. Let me here's some bonus content, a little value added. The best headline. I dream of writing. I can't write headlines. I dream of writing a good headline. The best headline I ever came across was from Christopher Hitchens, who, who was writing, I think, in Vanity Fair about the uh, the murder, the killing, I should say. Don't killing. I don't don't write me letters of Osama bin Laden. And <laughs> yeah, that really did not go where I thought it yeah. was going to go. Don't at me. <laughs> don't write me the killing of Osama bin Laden. Just, the owning. I, I can hear the, the, the clicking on the keyboards. Wait a second. <laughs> the, whose side is he on? The killing of Osama bin Laden. And the, the headline was, From Abbottabad to Worse. 
Oh, that's it's really. A, good. I mean, come yeah, on, it's perfect. Good. So, but anyways, so yeah, we got called the Wild West of, of money, whatever. Uh, we there really are almost no rules. There's no, some yeah. limits on anonymous money, which is nice. Yeah. But unlimited corporate union and foreign money. I can't imagine what could possibly go wrong. Yeah, the the numbers that the liberals racked in twelve are million. Like That's a lot of money. It's a lot on of money. par, yeah. if not dwarfing, some of the federal parties. Yeah. Which million. is pretty insane. Well, like the Conservative Party raises something like 50, fifteen to twenty million a year. Yeah, usually. but and that and they spend a lot of that like raising the money. Yes. So cost money to make money. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> not where, in BC. Not yeah, in BC, yeah. that money is not raised through you know phoning people. Yeah, like five dollars a call, phone banking sort of deal. Mm-hmm. It's cash, cash in hand, checks under the table sort of thing. Well, and the Liberals argued that you know look, transparency is more important. So we'll be transparent about it. We'll disclose it real time or whatever it was. But that's completely inadequate. So Weaver says that's one of his, in fact, yeah. the deal breaker. That's got to go. That's probably condition number one. And he wants uh, official party status. Yeah, which, which is... Well, he wants some money and some research. And that's basically they'd have to just alter like the standing orders. of their. Yeah, that's, like that's that. easy to do. And anyone's yeah. going to do that. And then down the line, he wants some policy stuff. But he's been a little more vague on that. And... Which is interesting because you know he he wanted he was quite aggressive. He wanted social housing, a lot of social housing yeah. built, and he wanted uh, tax increases, and he wanted a bigger co- carbon tax. Right. And so that's going to put the liberals in a tough spot. So is it a bit? I mean, I understand from the like tactical perspective of you put the three demands that are critical to the future of the Green Party as a political entity first, mm-hmm. but not really things that are top of mind for the people who voted green as your deal breakers yeah is, is there a risk of clegging himself here has that become a verb <laughs> <laughs> there's a, look there's always a risk of clegging yourself if you're so for context here uh for people who might not be familiar uh, nick clegg was the leader of the uh, uh uk liberal democrats who entered in a coalition with david cameron and completely destroyed the credibility of his own party by backing off on key platform commitments he had made. This is something a lot of people have talked about, is that in minority si- or in uh, coalition situations, often the minority partner, you know, takes the shit for everything and gets none of the benefits. Yeah. That that's... they get dwarfed in everything and they get blamed for anything that goes wrong. Right. So, yeah, is there a, is there a Clegg situation here potentially for Weaver? I think it's worse than that. I think he's, I think he'll get Clegg one way or the other. He Look, he's probably banking will, by the time an election rolls around in... X months, twelve to eighteen. <laughs> yeah. uh, God help me! I mean, just let me sleep. I want to, you know. But uh, twelve to eighteen months, we're doing this again. Uh, he, you know, maybe people will forgive him because they'll say, "Well, look, now we're viable." Green support doubled in this election yeah. from eight to sixteen, actually a little bit higher, and they went from one seat to three. Yeah, historic, that's historic that's high. huge for Canadian Greens across the country. Yeah, right? that's not going to happen again. So put it this way: he's probably in trouble either way. But he's about to trade off a lot, and I, I don't think people are going to forgive him. I think the support will go right back down to where it was, maybe even a little bit lower. Um, so, yeah, I do think the risk of getting clegged is, is really, really high. But I also thought, you know, it's going to happen either way. Yeah. Because I mean, the other problem is if he, say he joins the NDP, I actually would argue that's worse for the Greens. Well, because then it You're really, indistinct. Yeah, exactly. You get folded into the NDP. And, you know, they, they claim they're not left, they're not right. But if you ask folks He's not to the place first guy them, to say that, yeah. No, he's not. Pl- oh, shucks, I'm just a guy. Yeah. Bullshit, first yeah. of all. But also, you know, you get dragged into that. The policies are much more consistent with the NDP. Right. Across the board. Across the board. Then the question is like, well, why isn't he working 
with the NDP then, and then we get into personalities. and whatever. Which then looks kind of petty, because, like, your voters don't really care <laughs> if you don't like John Horgan. So this this was one of the minor scandals uh, in the lead-up to the election. Yeah, in the last week or so. Was sort of the misleading headline, and did he or, what, what did he or didn't he say? And it was sort of, uh, Andrew Weaver was paraphrased sort of wrongly as saying, like, I like the liberals and I don't like the NDP. Yeah. <clears throat> and I want to work with them and not them. Where he, he had a more nuanced position and he said, like, Kirstie Clark is nicer. Like, I find... <laughs> no temper. I find Horgan, you know, a little hot-headed and I'm not, like, a big fan of him, which I, I don't think is a surprise to anyone who's following it. No. Um, but it, it sort of set up this, this paradigm before the election ever occurred. Which is that Weaver was leaning liberal, mm -hmm. despite yeah. what his base was going. It's it's his call at the end of the day, depending on how these things go. Yeah. But the the sort of flashpoint is really going to be the green policies, because like we talked, like a lot of the voters are probably voting for the Green Party based mm -hmm. on the environmental issues, the pipelines, yeah, like LNG, some of the different resource projects. Mm -hmm. But that is taking like. The back seat really to oh, yeah. the priorities of the Green Party. Exactly as as the the Green Party as an institution, as yes. a political party. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I think look, if I'm Christy Clark, I'd be super keen to work with the Greens. Well, you want to stay in government. I will, <laughs> well that for one, but two, I would rob them of their policy platform as much as I possibly could because yeah. she can win a lot of support by moving a little bit yeah. towards some of the affordability frame. And you know, look, it kind of gives her an excuse too with her pockets. Totally, too. BC's got a great economy, but it's yeah. not distributed anywhere near equitably, and so that's been pissing people off. And you, so she can steal that. And you think if she goes center, you don't think the BC uh, Progressive Conservative Party is going to steal a lot of votes? From they're her? just they're just BC conservatives. Oh, yeah. That's a complete yeah. joke. But also, yeah, yeah they're, 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 like, like the point is, there's there's no one on the right of Kirsty yeah. Clark, so yeah. she well, can go. Well, there's her caucus, right? There, there's her caucus, yeah. but if you keep the tempers in check, yeah. And you bring yourself to the center, and you're yeah. able to manage caucus and expectations there, then you've got no competitor on the right. So you have a lot of flexibility with coming. Oh, totally. You know, over you the know center, who else thought that? Center left. You know who else thought that? Going with Thomas Mulcair. Allison Redford. Uh, oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, they're the BC Conservatives, uh, which are like a minor, like they don't have they a had leader. Ten, they had ten candidates, no leader. They ran last election with no leader. Yeah. It, not How super well organized. Does it count? No, I mean, I think <laughs> if I'm her, I steal some of the NDP, some of the Greens, and I, and I move a little bit to the center. She's been so far to the right yeah. that she can afford to. I give up political donations because A, not like it really helped me last election, but B, people want it gone. Yeah, people are getting really point. upset. And there's a new norm that that's got to go. Yeah. And so she's, she, you know, she steals all that. She moves, she gets a majority government, and yeah. whatever it is, 18 months, she manufactures a crisis. The Greens come back down to earth. And the NDP goes back to being, you know, whatever it is that they were in the last 16 years. I don't really know what they were seat warmers, I'd imagine. So speaking of the NDP, um, if John Horgan can't sort of, like, claim the title here, I imagine he probably stays on because he came close enough. But is that a guarantee? Do you think there's, like, potential for him to not stay on? And who replaces him in that case? I, I think he'll, you know, I think he'll stay in, in part because... He can't come a lot closer. He can't come a lot closer. Uh, the NDP, you know, look, they the norm is changing a little bit, but typically they don't turf the leader after they lose an election, unless you're Thomas mm -hmm. Mulcair. Yeah. We can get Context, into that. Which, which was, you know, <laughs> that was a little bit whatever. Uh, probably a mistake. We'll see. But, you know, 
and but there are people who replace them, but I don't think they're ready yet. So you know, when I talk to people, I hear David Eby, who's an right. MLA, who happens to be my MLA, uh, who's the housing critic, who's competent, who's great on policy, who beat Christy Clark in the last election in right. 2013, yes. took her lunch and ate it in front of her, and it, you know it was really interesting to watch. And uh, in fact, in the lead up to the election, the liberals were attacking David Eby and calling it David Eby's NDP. So they were doing a twofer. They got a shot at Horgan and a shot at Eby. But uh, he had a young family, has a young family, and, and doesn't, didn't want it a few years ago. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to want it yet, but if, if he does, he's got a good shot. And he, I think he would have won the last election. The NDP support in that election grew by 0.2%. Yeah, it's so not, it wouldn't have had to grow by much to yeah. win. Uh, and the other person I've heard, this is, look, this is just me hearing it from a guy talking to a guy. Uh, Nathan Cullen, his name has been floated. It yeah. would be interesting. This was my hypothesis for a long time too, eh? Yeah, we've yeah. heard this sort of around Ottawa. I guess it's made it that far in various diluted forms. Um, but whether or not Nathan Cullen was going to run this time. Yeah. Uh, as, I had, I, had I was like adamantly certain six months ago that that was going to happen. Turned out not to, so yeah. there you go. He nope. said he's uh, on this weird electoral reform. Yeah, well, it's. I think he, he also has a young family. And yeah, they have moved out I mean. to Ottawa, and I think he's he's just happy where he is. It seems like, which yeah. is like the weirdest thing. It's like the guy just likes his current job and isn't anxious to yeah, go anywhere, true. which is the weirdest thing. But uh, politician so, yeah. who's happy I, with yeah. their current yeah. uh, go, uh, so keep so keep John Horgan yeah. for a while, or you know whoever finishes second in the federal NDP race should get it. Yeah, uh, just as a <laughs> just as by a, default. A yeah, prize. just as a consolation prize. Yeah. You know, I uh, oh yeah whatever whoever that's it ends up being like Guy Cahill who's like. Oh, <laughs> Oh shit! I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> he, he would. He, I think he'd play really well. He's a nice guy. Like I, I've I mean, heard nice things. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but uh, he he, is maybe the British Columbian the British Columbian public might have some uh, some stumbling. Also, apparently, I learned today that, that that you know, Andy uh, Union Union Nation. The jet lag is... Yeah, so that's don't worry about it. Uh, uh, the unionization in, in BC is actually not quite as robust as you might expect. Hmm. Um, and so it's, that's quite interesting. But, you know, we've got a weird politics because it's effectively a two-party system and has some very, very interesting divides, especially since it's so urbanized. Yeah. And the lower mainland is such a draw. But, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think Corgan, if he wants to stay, gets to stay. Um, that said, I don't think he's ever going to win an election for the NDP. It's tough to, for the NDP to win an election in British Columbia, in part because the right has a big, t well, the center has a big tent. You know, yeah, the federal liberals, coalition. federal conservatives, old so-creds, yeah. and conservatives who don't want to vote for the BC conservatives because they're not really a thing. A or, thing. Or they just physically can't because there's no one running in the right. Or so that, <laughs> right. Or, that or that. One of the issues with the polling is some of the polling beforehand seemed to be yeah. completely oblivious. It shouldn't even included them. And right. had them at 7%, but there was no one to vote for in the majority of the riding. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, this this is just weighting your polls stupidly. Jim, yeah, can we, can we talk a bit about BC political history here for, for a short digression? If you're, we can try. Yeah, we can try. Mine, my, you know, I, I moved there in 2010, so I know a little bit about... But yeah, just, just the basics. I think just because a lot of people like out east and and in the central Canada don't really yeah. People always say BC politics is weird. I you hear weird. that all the time, and it is kind of weird. It's pretty. But weird. I think uh, do we want to talk about like the origins of the weirdness? Like if we talk mm -hmm. about the, the concept of like yeah, like you mentioned, the Socreds were like in government for, for you know, not even all that in distant history. It was what like the early nineties was the last yeah, time they, they were in government. So I, let's start with the background of the Socrats and who they were and sort of where they fit on the spectrum. I, I don't know a ton about the, the history of the Socrats in BC, but they, I'll put it this way, they were a right wing party. Yeah. And they govern 
and <clears throat> eventually they, they fell apart. And like it would, I think it was early '90s, yeah. something like '92, '93. Well, once the BCNDP won in the '90s, yeah. then they sort of fell apart in the aftermath. Of that. Yeah, and, and you know they they had Bill Vanderzam and and then didn't, and right. <laughs> um, you know odd guy, so, odd guy. He he really is, but you know he look he had his chance, and whatever. But so you know the, the NDP wins with a fractured right. Uh, and then they govern for a while. They go through quite a few premiers. Yes. Um, and the, the Socreds d- dissolve, and the, the BC Liberals bring them in, and the, the right starts to get its, its yeah. affairs in order through the 90s. Um, meanwhile, the NDP is governing. They're not having the greatest time. They're getting hit with scandals after scandal. Eventually, Premier Glenn Clark, gets NDP Premier, gets raided by the RCMP over a... <laughs> You know, he had a deal with a deck, and it, you know, it really stuck to him. And the BC NDP had gone through, I, three, I can't remember if it's three or four premiers in a fairly short amount of time. Yeah, Harcourt, then Harcourt, Clark. Dozange, Clark. I think, yeah, maybe. I think that's it. That's it. I think that's it. And but then three is still a lot of Carol premiers. James, who, who was, who's fantastic, but she was in there as a leader for a bit. Yeah. So they had moved through a lot of leaders, total disarray. And, you know, they somehow they managed to win the 1996 election, even though they received fewer votes than the Liberals. But by then, and then, um, um, what is the guy? I forget his name. Um, Gordon Campbell, became, right. you know, had taken over the Liberals and he was pulling them together. So eventually, you know, and then, and then in 2000, the Liberals win Gordon Campbell and they've been in power ever since. Yeah. And it looks like, for the most part, they're unassailable, in part because... Um, of the of the sort of the demographics of the BC electorate, but also in part because the NDP has just never been able to get it together. Yeah, and if it they did, if like they didn't do a, it this time, it does seem to be a persistent thing with the BC NDP. And I think I hypothesized on the show last week that there is sort of a a leadership entourage from the. I mean, Adrian Dix was Glenn Clark's chief of staff. Yeah, he's right? also terrible at campaigns. Yes, <laughs> but like those guys are hanging on for dear life. Like all the people who were well, John Horgan in the was 90s. John Horgan was in around in the nineties too. Was he really? Oh yeah, he was, I sort of thought he was the first like of... next generation. No, no, no. he was he was okay. a member of the government before. Okay, well, yeah, I and then, and I think he was a staffer at one point too. Like, That's so like he's Brad got, Wall level. He's got deep, oh yeah, he's got <laughs> deep roots. And so you know, part of it is I think that that there just hasn't really been ever a, a real renewal. And the other yeah. part of it is, you know, it, this is a natural resource province. Yes. A lot of forestry, a lot of mining, and to some, you know, LNG is big. And, right. And, you know, they came out pretty hard on Kinder Morgan, the Kinder Morgan pipeline. But the province is split. Yeah. On oh, Kinder very Morgan. starkly. It's, yeah. it's pretty much 50 50. And, you know, folks in Burnaby don't love it. But, and, you know, to some, but the rest, once you even outside of Burnaby, the support starts to go up. And by the time yeah. you get into the interior in the north, then it's a different story. Right. And so that's, that's tricky for them. And, you know, this was a situation where nobody knew who John Horgan was. They Their platform was a mess. It wasn't really properly, at least the communication of how it was costed, really broke down fast. Yeah. And it was tough. I think David Eby would have won it, though. So, I, you know, they had a shot. But Christy Clark was super unpopular going in. Keep in mind, in the 2013 election, by the way, they were going in with a massive lead in the polls. Well, yeah, the, the sort of the polling disaster of 2013 was kind of like hanging over this election like a oh yeah they, it was they were up i can't remember they, in the last few days by quite a few points i can't remember what it was i think it was they, they had like a five point five point handicap yeah. like right going in and then just 
the the last BC election is sort of held up as one of the like historic failures of polling in Canada. Basically, whenever you point to a poll to say your party is doing well, someone in the other party now says, "Ah, but BC 2013." BC 2013 and Alberta 2011. Yes, are the two and pollsters 2012. God, I worked on that campaign. I should know this Sorry, better. <laughs> Well, keep, um, keep in mind, though, they, they got so bad in B.C. that the province ran a headline with a picture of Adrian Dix that said, this man could kick a dog and still win the election. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah, that was really asking for it, I think, at I that mean, point, right? I, if like, I'm Adrian, that's inviting. Uh... <laughs> so, in defense of the pollsters, really quickly, though, it, part of that might have been that folks who were likely voters didn't turn out because they thought it was in the bag. Right. Even when our turnout was 58% in that election. Low, and some yeah. folks might have changed their mind. Because we're undecided. The Hillary Clinton effect, I'll dub that. Yeah. So there's like usually about three variables. When when pollsters talk about this election, they talk about like, what did polling get wrong? How was polling wrong? Was it like last minute change of votes? Was it our projection on who turned out and mm -hmm. who voted was wrong? And there's one other one that I can't remember. Um, so it's like, because fundamentally, when you're polling up until, you know, a week before or something along those lines, like... I think history has shown polling is reasonably accurate. Yeah, it, given, is. it still is. Yeah, yeah. and Even, has, like, hasn't changed. It's honestly, they work some absolutely statistical wizardry given the fact that the response rates are like 2%. Yeah. They're waiting, actually, they wait some stuff. You know, it's not yeah. perfect, but keep in mind, like, you know, they got twenty the federal 2015 election. They might not have called the liberal majority, but their ranges were pretty tight. Yeah. Same in BC. Even in the US. Oh, got, it was, the, pretty yeah. close the, on the, the national polling was accurate. Yeah. Like it's just that it broke it's, down. Yeah. People remember the failures. Yeah, that's a tough business. It was, yeah. yeah, it was people very much reactionary. Much like politics. Yeah, people remember my failures. <laughs> I wrote a few years ago. I wrote a piece suggesting that the Liberal Party was on its way out. You know, because their I think platform you wasn't the only one. Yeah, and I got, yeah, I got, but it stuck to me a lot. I failed up eventually. Do, do, you, know, do, you, want, do you want to feel a little better about yourself? Always, yeah. So at the end of my master's thesis, I wrote my master's thesis on uh, Catholic social teaching and its legacy in Quebec. Mm -hmm. And I wrote that, like, uh, given the sort of, like, relative moribundity of uh, both the, like, hard federalist, liberal, Pierre Trudeau vision of Quebec's place in Canada and the very hard independentist vision of Quebec and Canada were both on their way out, then there was room for perhaps a, more, a new synthesis. Well, fuck that one up, but uh, that's only in my master's thesis now. It's okay. It's only it. out there forever. <laughs> Pub published. Yeah, okay. Where Where is that book? Where Where do I find the hard copy? I, I don't think... Oh, probably my supervisor's office, I guess. Somewhere in Scotland? Yeah, somewhere in Scotland. Somewhere in Scotland. If you're, if you're in Scotland and you're listening, feel free to go pick that up. And yeah, it should be in the St. Andrew's Library somewhere. Anyway... Uh, actually, so what happened? I just want to say, these things happen. <laughs> I got happen. some things right, by the way. That said, I think the data on, on predictions suggests that Political scientists, professional predictors, basically experts, yeah. are uh, better than the general public, but worse than random. Yeah, that's I, th I think it's that. You can fact check. I might be wrong with that too, but I think you, that's you don't right. mean pollsters. You mean just like random, random people, yeah, people who are who are informed and expert, but they don't have. This is where sort of like super forecasting comes in, yes. and like you have Good to book, by the way. you have to sort of look into what predictions people are making and quantifying and. The we time should actually, span and we should just make a, a prediction scoring website. That'd be good. That'd be, like, just pundits. I hate pundits, sorry. Yeah, I, no, I know I, you're a budding, budding pundit. But. No, no, no. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I am. I, I'm not sure what I am anymore. I do a little bit of everything. But I, I try to use what I know from the academic world to enlighten a little bit That's what's good. going on. And I try to limit predictions. Um, so when Rachel Notley says, 
you know, BC can't possibly try to block our pipeline because that would turn Canada into a bunch of warring fiefdoms. I can come in and say, have you met us? That's <laughs> exactly actually, that's what we, what we do. Yeah. That's what we've been doing since 1790 or whatever. This is not a new thing. Well, 1754 for sure. Uh, you know, this is not a new thing. No, we're very that's good at this. And yeah. I get, you know, slipping little jokes. and They take my swears out usually, which oh. is... That's fine. I can't wait till the day. That's just acceptable. And Don't worry, we won't. It's acceptable for Vice, I think. Yeah, Vice. Right? Is, yeah, no. But maybe cool. they go too far. Perhaps. I, I mean, they had, I mean they, had, they had Vice. goes for the shock factor. They had what? I think pizza so. as a sandwich. That was a shock. Vice. Yeah. I'm gonna get started with that. Unless of course Vice wants me to write for him, in which case you've. Hit, I, friend of the show, you know. Drew Brown, actually. The, uh, I love that guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. Can I go on the record as I, I really like that guy? He's a good he's dude. A funny dude. He is and very smart. Funny. Yeah, and he his t- that was his take though. So. Can I just run through a list of people I like in case yeah, anyone's hiring? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take t- t- take a swing. Golden Mail, you're you're sort of on the fritz oh, lately. Yeah. I'll, I'll consider it. National Post. Well, your your layoffs are looking imminent. I uh, yeah, McLean's though, let me just say, what an outfit! <laughs> <laughs> what a great group of folks that is. I, they are actually blessed. So, so we, were, we were. I like, like everybody. I'm actually a really nice person, by the way. And usually, when you have to say that, it's bullshit. But I feel like the internet makes me. We've, seem we've worse been hanging out and drinking a beer with David for for better part of an hour now, yeah. and he's been he's been very friendly. He, he told us he's in contract negotiations with uh, Rebel Media as well. <laughs> that is true. I'm going to uh, be their snowflake, latte <laughs> sipping, yeah. East Coast, uh, West Coast elitist, leftist correspondent. Isn't that basically already JJ McCullough? Do you want to talk about no. JJ McCullough? No, no, no we JJ, don't. We JJ is on the right, though. Um, you, you need a left, you need yeah, a left yeah. one to balance I, out. I will say this. To provide neutrality it, yeah. to the rebel, to sort of bring them back to the center, they need a like an <laughs> ultra far left person. If they want like, me and JJ to do, I'll just say this, if they, if they want me and JJ to do a crossfire type situation. BC <laughs> crossfire, yeah. I am in. Ezra, he can, you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> so you're welcome. JJ can put his doodling down for a few minutes, and I'd be very happy to do that. So we were talking. We were talking earlier about. Uh, unless you have any more questions, BC. I do. Okay, I, have, I, have one. Okay. I have one last one because sure. earlier this week, um, the sort of HR lineup of the oh, BC yeah. Green oh, yeah, right. negotiating team came up. Yeah. yeah. And they uh, they drafted some interesting first round picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one significant one. There were two sort of. A wild card pick, you could say. There was sort of one wild card pick, uh, which is uh, uh, British Columbia's own Norman Spector, ladies and gentlemen. Norman Spector, Canada's perhaps favorite Twitter troll. Yeah, the Inspector of Norms. <laughs> so what's uh, what's Norman Spector's history in Canadian politics? I think that's a good place. Yeah, to that's start. a good one. I um, by the way, I should say I've had some very nice exchanges with Norman Spector uh, about hockey and about the time that Trudeau, Pierre Trudeau, allegedly punched a guy in the face. Um, which, by the way, you can look up in Nancy Southern's book. Um, so Norman Spector was the chief of staff to Brian Mulroney back in the, the 1980s, those days. The good old days. Yeah, uh, back when I was teething. And then he, he was an ambassador to Israel. He was a newspaper publisher. He was a columnist. He has like, you know, he's a smart guy and has a distinguished career. A real career. renaissance man. He, uh, you know, certainly in the political world he is. <laughs> you know, and, and a distinguished career. And nobody can gainsay that. Um, but he's since retired to Victoria, as many people do. Indeed. <laughs> uh, and has become a Victoria consumer of news and payer of attention to politics. Uh, and a bit of a Christy Clark fan. If you look through his commentary, you know, it, it betrays some love for Christy Clark, certainly some respect. And he's been dragged into the negotiations for the, the, on behalf of the Greens, which is an indication to me that they're maybe leaning Looking to, to the liberals. Deal. Yeah, yeah could be. 
Yeah, when you pick a former conservative chief of staff to who's a fan of the Liberal Party to do your negotiating on your behalf, sort of hints that you're not going for yeah. Horgan. I think so. So green voters, uh, sorry, I guess. <laughs> green. I, I would love to sit down and talk to a couple of green voters right now. Yeah, it'd be interesting. That's kind of the unasked yeah. question right now is how are they feeling? Because they seem to be really the wild card in selection. I think so. See, here's my question, though, because I've heard sort of mixed things about green voters. And although green voters have obviously expressed uh, some of their distaste that they're negotiating with liberals, I've also heard that green voters are predominantly like upper middle class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are um, two kinds of green voters. White people who live in suburbs and have, you know, some sort of guilt about being environmentally conscious and decide to throw their vote so to the Green they're, Party. So they're what the uh, Australian Labour Party call watermelons. Uh, people who are green on the outside but red on the inside. Oh, interesting. Um, oh, watermelons are pink. Yeah, but close enough. Right. Right. For, the analogy is not perfect. For political, right. for political metaphor work, it's Pretty sloppy, Australia. Yeah, they tend to be. I'm trying to think um, of things that are green on the outside and red on the inside now. And he's not, pretty much just... I'm not coming up with anything. Yeah. Anyway, maybe like uh, Oscar the Grouch, but uh... <laughs> 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 cool. Woo! All right, you heard it here first, folks. Um, oh, but yeah, that that is kind of the unasked question. It would be it would be interesting to see if any entre- uh, entrepreneurial journalists would uh, perhaps ask green voters what they're feeling right now. We've got some great journalists in BC, actually. I'm, I'm a big fan, and none of them pay me to do anything, by the way. So I you can say should... this without. Yeah. You know, I, I get nothing from any of those journalists. You guys should pay David. None of them even bought me a beer, Richard Sussman. <laughs> <laughs> he's great, actually, by the way. He's one of my favorites. So, uh, yeah. so transition, we were talking about research, and that was going to be my, my nice little transition oh, okay, over to, yeah. to your research. But yeah. uh, you actually have done, like, really interesting PhD research. And I uh, so. have been, like, that stuff has been, like, I've actually been aware of it for some time, and it's looked very good. And mm-hmm. I actually, now that you're on the show... Ideas like, with Paul Kennedy. Yeah. I did ideas. <laughs> I, I, oh, I, I that. that was one of the weirdest things in my life to hear Paul Kennedy say uh, my name. Because yeah, I'd grown weird. up listening to ideas because yeah. I was super cool. Can I actually tell a personal story here for a minute? <laughs> we are the worst at that. <laughs> um, so the reason I ever got into politics, I can, I'm can. i sort of rare in this, as a particular as a conservative, so I credit it to the CBC, is Ooh. that I had a very early bedtime as a child. Yeah. And I would like go into my bed and try and read books, and my mother oh, dude, would see same. my mother would see the flashlight light, and she'd be like, "Hey, turn off that light." So I would put a headphone in my ear and listen to CBC Radio every single night as I fell asleep. And at eight o'clock in Alberta, was because my bedtime was eight o'clock. Wow. Was ideas with Paul Kennedy, and then it, you know you start listening to it during the day, and you listen to the House and as yeah. it happens, and all all the other shows, but. Ideas with Paul Kennedy is what I grew up listening. This reveals a lot because I, I grew up with a single mother who who had two kids and worked a bunch of jobs to try to make ends meet, no college education or whatever. So she'd get home and she'd just be exhausted. And the, and so I could go to bed whenever I wanted because she just, what was what she going to do about it? She was just exhausted. <laughs> with apologies to my mother, who was just the greatest woman in the world. But, you know, I, the only thing she could ever just sort of muster the energy to do because she'd been busting her ass to keep us afloat was like, don't watch Mary with Children or South Park. And then she'd fall asleep, and I'd just go watch Mary with Children or South Park. <laughs> so that's where I come from. See, I actually had a, also an 8 a.m. bed t- or 8 p.m. bedtime, and uh, did not listen to CBC because I grew up in the states, but uh, did listen to a lot of uh, Fresh Air, Ooh. NPR. Program. You, you didn't fall asleep listening to Sean Hannity, or no, no, I would have turned out very differently, I think. Anyway, uh, so yeah, yeah tell so us yeah. a little bit about your research because it, it is actually very interesting, kind of at the intersection of, of politics and 
uh, decision making, mm-hmm. psychology, and all these kind of things. <clears throat> yeah, I wanted to know whether or not the sort of normative standards we have for ourselves and expectations were met day to day. So, you know, there's this sort of expectation that folks are competent, they're rational, they're autonomous, you know, they can understand the world and make decisions, form opinions, and then give you a, tell you a story about where that came from and why they did it that was accurate. Mm-hmm. So you know, I voted and I you know for the party X because I liked par- policy Y, right? And I like policy Y because I believe we need more ABC, mm-hmm. the the liberal model of politics, the, the, the sort of enlightenment, L, yeah. L, yes. the enlightenment rationalists, whatever, yes. I, which is mostly largely the blame for this goes to Rene Descartes. I don't want to put all of it on Descartes. Some of right. it's on Kant, but you yeah. know, there's there's lots to go around. But Descartes and Kant are a couple of the big offenders. And so I said, okay, look, in, in, we have this this idea. Does it bear out? Does it does it play out that way? And so I looked at that. I looked at a bunch of social psychology, and I said, okay, can we make good political decisions? Yes, no. If not, why not? Mm-hmm. So it turns out that well, we mostly don't make quote unquote good political decisions, as far as I'm concerned, which is a rational, autonomous decisions mm-hmm. where you can tell me, you know, what you use to come to this decision, what it's based on. And tell me your motivations. Give me your reasons, and have those be the actual reasons instead yes. of. But in academia, we call it say rationalization on the street, or Tim Hortons. I would call it bullshit. Right. And you know the scary thing is sometimes it's you're aware you're doing it, but most of the time you're not. Mm-hmm. So there's a study from the 80s in the U.S. around uh, welfare and African Americans, and they asked folks, "Do you support it?" And the, and a lot of people said no. And the more educated folks would say no and then give you a bunch of ideological reasons. Right. And the less educated folks would say no and then give you a lot of sort of visceral gut-based stuff. And, but it turns out they were both just full of it. It was racism that was driving their opposition, and they had no idea. How, how did they determine racism in this instance? You know, it, the, the methodology is... Um, uh, you gotta, it had something to do with dueling surveys, and I'm trying to remember. There's a Snyderman article that I wish I could remember been a little while uh, they had dueling surveys and they did a some sort of regression so, so, I can't so they exactly. determined they they found a quantitative measure yes. of racism and then they compare that to opinions and sort of found a trend sort yes of thing. yeah and there, there was there was another move they made that I, you know on most days when i'm not it's been a long it's been a long day <laughs> i was this was a let's call it a recreational day a nice sunny recreational day in, in ottawa you're, you're, on vacation. you're on vacation i'm technically on vacation uh, anyways you can look up snyderman at al and it's from 1986 it's a great paper uh but anyways that's that's one example there's all kinds of examples of sure. of you know motiv- motivated reasoning is a really interesting thing to work you know we we are motivated to you work to, reach to, a, first, yeah. to get to a conclusion we rationalize there's a thing called automaticity where a lot of what drives us is, does, you know, is outside of our awareness. There's a thing called um, system justification. We are predisposed to support and justify the existing system. Mm-hmm. Laurent is a big fan of that. Am I? Of, of that explanation of sort of like mainstream opinion. And oh, like design. just status quo justification? Status yes. quo. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I, my <clears throat> pundit rant earlier is basically like, that's why I dislike pundits. Right. Well, basically. I'm not one of those. See, I'm not one of those. See, I'm trying to... No, you... I'm, I, 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 I'm bravely I charting a new path. It's good. I, I, yeah, I am the David Thompson. How <laughs> you like that, history nerds? <laughs> uh, <laughs> of punditry. Um, 
So anyways, yeah, so and then there's uh, a thing called moral intuitionism. You know, we come to conclusions on moral issues that are actually just gut-based. Mm-hmm. We just have a feeling about what's right, and then we rationalize later. And so the, one of the great analogies is, you know, when it comes to these things, it's not a, a judge weighing the evidence. It's a lawyer, right. you know, arguing the case. Yeah. And you just sort of do it whatever way you do it. And so, you know, I, I took all of that and said, okay, well, here's a problem because here's how we behave. Here's how we're expected to behave. Well, what are the implications of that and what are we going to do about it? And it turns out that one of the problems is the sort of world we live in is just not conducive to the rational ideal model right. from the Enlightenment. I, it's too again, fast. This is, this it's too complicated. There's too many choices. Yeah. And if we really want to do better, we need to find ways to slow things down, yeah. to give folks resources, to make it accessible, yeah. to ask more of them, to warn them about these things. Because when you warn them about some of these risks, they do better. There yeah. are ways, there's sort of like prophylactic ways to deal with this. And so, you know, but that's probably I'm so, working on it but yeah. so that's sort of like I think what experts commonly call like deliberative democracy yes that's that's yeah. why I'm a big fan of deliberative democracy yeah. you sit folks down you ask them to give reasons but that's not enough on its own no it takes a lot of a lot of work and money by the way hence one of the problems and political <laughs> will so just you know yeah. just the little things so like actually like while we're, we're on sort of BC so like the BC <laughs> like in 2006 I believe 2006 2007 they had the whole Oh, yes. So the whole process for electoral reform. Yeah. They just get the Citizens Assembly sit, listen to a whole bunch of presentations mm-hmm. about uh, different kinds of electoral systems, and propose one yeah. um, based on that. Like, Do you see there a wider use of Citizens Assemblies being... Oh, I'm a or? big fan of Citizens yeah. Assemblies. I'm all about them. And, you know, they're getting used all over the place. They've been used in, you know, in Europe. They've been used in Canada. Um, they get used at, at levels of the United States as well. Sure. I think there's one going on in Europe right now, actually. Um, basically, you get a bunch of folks together. You, there's a dumb bunch of different ways to pick them. And then you ask them to spend lots of time together and give each other, re- learn from experts, and then deliberate amongst themselves, like a court would, for instance. Right. One of the best examples of, de- of a deliberative body would be, a say, jury. a jury or a yeah. U.S. Supreme Court is the yeah. one that John Rawls uses. Yeah. And, and you if, ask and folks to give reasons. Jury. What's that? An or an Athenian jury. jury. Oh, yeah. John Rawls, taking me back to my uh, oh, my, yeah. my undergrad uh, political philosophy days. Oh yeah, the theory of justice. But so you know, the veil, veil of ignorance. The veil of ignorance. I'm, I'm throw that the out. maximum. Yeah. The original position. We always used to like the original position. Yeah, it's <laughs> Anyways, family program. So uh, yeah, so you know, there's and folks give each other reasons back and forth, and they come up with a, a reason, a, a recommendation. And we did that in, in British Columbia in 2003, 2004 for the referendum on electoral reform. Right. And folks recommended the single transferable vote. Yeah. And you know, not everybody knows this, but, you know, there was about a year that they did this and they did their things. And I talked to some folks who were on it and they would say, you know, we had the formal sessions. And then we went back to the hotel and we had some drinks and we talked. Yeah. And that was part of the reason because they got comfortable with each other. But, and they, but they were informed. And they were more or less on a similar level after a while. Yeah. Like, you know, because folks can learn. Look, I, I don't think this. People aren't stupid. People have capacity if you give them the chance to exercise mm-hmm. it in the resources. Anyway, so they recommended the single transferable vote. It went to a vote in 2004, whatever it was, and it got 57.7%. That's a lot. Um, but there was a threshold of 60% for it to pass, right. so it, it went to the political graveyard. But, you know, these things work, when they, when they, but they're expensive and they're time-consuming. And if I can plug a book, not mine, there's a book by Genevieve Fuji Johnson from SFU called Democratic Illusion, about all of the times we've tried deliberative democracy, citizen assemblies, participatory budgeting, all these things, and we've done it a few times. And folks really buy into it, politicians, individuals. 
but it never there's never any uptake. Mm. There's always something at the end. We get close, but we can't get it over the goal line. So l- let me ask you to make a parallel between that and current federal policy. Hmm. The what 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 the federal evidence based what the federal what government not not the evidence based side but the the consultation side. Oh, I see. The oh, yes. the federal okay. government has been big on consultation. They've done consultation on things like <laughs> the uh, the international assistance review, the yeah. public safety review. It has a has a name. The defense review. Mm-hmm. Like everything is getting public input. What what sort of your take on that as? Uh, how good it informs policy choices. Getting getting average Canadians. To weigh in on defense procurement. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not deep inside the processes. And, and I mean, look, look, I like consultation. There's better or worse. For instance, town mm-hmm. halls. Oh, they're, yeah. they're democratically they're, valuable. They, they yeah. allow people to talk to the representatives, to air grievances. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a big fan of, like, I love Parks and Rec- the show Parks and Recreation. Yeah. That's a good example of what those things are really like. Yeah. And I was a part of the electoral reform efforts in 2014, 2015, 2016. And I was in front of the committee. I was at. I ran some of these town halls for MPs across the political spectrum. So you know, I I was part of that process. But that process was a mess. Yes. The committee was great. I really respect the work the committee did. But the, in terms of getting the input of folks, yeah, that was a mess. MyDemocracy.ca. <laughs> and this, by the way, yeah, that we was. Yeah, we had a good episode about what, that. What were you? You, oh, I was a Hufflepuff. No, I was a Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw? No, I'm actually. By the way, I just started reading the Harry Potter series. I'm not 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 to brag or anything like that, but I'm whichever one Harry Potter is Gryffindor. Gryffindor. Yeah. yeah. No big. No big deal. Behind on these. No big deal. But I mean, yeah, you know, there, if for consultations to be meaningful, if you want the the general population, you've you've got to dig in, and that means a lot of time and a lot of resources. And it's it's more than just sitting down with someone and asking them questions. You you really got to give them the time and the and the resources and the information to sit down and go back and forth and to reason. So you know I I, often, I think the deliberative model and the CA model are are the way to go. Yeah. You know surveys aren't going to tell you much, especially since folks are just sort of sampling off the top of their well, head. Well, yeah, you're not getting like the process of deliberation. No, I mean, surveys are garbage. about the process. Yeah, garbage. Yeah. The result is more or less incidental. Like It's right there in the name, deliberation. Oh, yeah, and surveys are, you know, surveys are extremely sensitive to how they're framed. Yeah, very much you know, so. So there's yes. a great story about, you know, if you look at the, you know, say the treatment of her for a lung cancer and there's a 90% success rate for this surgery and you're like, yeah, 90% success rate, I'm in. One in ten people will die. Yeah, or ten percent <laughs> failure rate. Like, are you kidding me? Ten percent failure, I'm out. And I mean, that is a study. Yeah. Uh, that that's being done. So you know, they're not. It's not a good model. Surveys no. are garbage. Don't do surveys. They're cheap. They're you know relatively easy cheap, accessible, do. easy to do. They give you some sense of legitimacy, but that's not meaningful. Mm-hmm. The really the best way to do is deliberation. So so to clarify, you mean surveys? Because I I don't want to tarnish all of polling here. You mean surveys are sort of like a policy making? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I mean, if you poll on, there's a reason that people with money do focus groups and sort of really dig in and push. So what, what I would say is polling is good for structuring a policy to the population yeah. rather than the other way around. It's, it's good for selling to where people are. It's not so good at moving people from point A to point B. Or coming up with necessarily substantive advice about how the ba- policy yeah. is Based on what done. the population is saying. So if the yeah. population is saying, hey, we all want jet skis, perhaps subsidizing jet skis is not the best next move to make. I actually do think that's a good idea, though. Just like I've never been on a jet ski. I haven't either. I, I can confess I've never water skied. I've never <laughs> jet skied. So. Those are two very different things. For, 
I, I mean, just water sports in general is, is what I'm going to throw it out okay. to you. Uh, yeah, but I mean, no, really, like, you know, it's, what does the government really want from people? Do they want to form the policy based on true, on, on real deeply held preferences? You know, like a lot of people don't have deeply held preferences no. for things. They're, they they pretty mellow, and they're shaped by well, identification. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like party ID, for instance, yeah. which is a powerful lens or Very drug if you prefer it. Partisan is a hell, or partisanship is a hell of a drug, as was stated many times. <laughs> there were there were great polls from the United States talking oh, about uh, like perception of the economy after the election. <laughs> no, yeah. more, more significantly, uh, perception of Russia. Oh, oh over, yeah, over the course Even of the election oh. campaign, they love it now. Yeah, pre-campaign Russians or sorry Republicans were very anti-Russia. Post-campaign, now they love it, and to, to this day they're. Folks, yeah. Russia, it's good. <laughs> well, because people are looking at heuristics. They, you know, they don't know. They're looking for some sort of guide, and so they look to their identity, their politicians, and they adjust accordingly. They, they pick their politicians and adjust their policy preference, not the other way around. Yeah, that's so, pretty, yeah. That's the way. That's what happens. Tribalism, it's good. It's tribal, yeah. yeah. Heuristics, good uh, good psychology term yeah. for mental shortcuts. Mental do, you wanna, do you want to explain heuristics a tiny bit? I mean, you basically just... I certainly it. do, yeah. It's a mental <laughs> shortcut. <laughs> Uh, basically, it says, you know, we live in a world in which a lot of stuff is thrown at us, a lot of information. It's complicated. We got to make decisions about a lot of things, and, and heuristics are mental shortcuts. So it might be, you know, uh, I trust that organization or that individual, so I'm going to mirror what they do. It might be, I've always been a conservative or a liberal or a member of the NDP, so I'm going to do what they do. Yeah. Or I'm, you know, a male and this is what males do, even yeah. though, you know, whatever. And that's why you get these essentialisms and these sort of deeply conservative identities and whatever, because folks are just doubling down every day yeah. on these heuristics. Well, and sometimes they're useful, by the yeah. way. Sometimes it allows folks to approximate good policy Well, outcomes. not everyone has that. Like, I, I, I'm, a dub, I'm a dual citizen. Yeah. And uh, I, I vote in the U.S. Uh, whenever it comes up because I'm, I'm diligent and yeah. I spend five hours going through every one of my six pages of my ballot, voting for every position, Whoa. every initiative, every referendum. And I do my research. But You're like, the only one. But yes, I'm the only person yeah. who does that. Yeah. Uh, and like, it, it is ridiculous. And it's like, you can't even expect people to not use some kind of shortcut, whether it's you know, editorial board endorsements or, you know, like civil society group endorsements, politician endorsements, or just mm -hmm. like, I like this guy's beard or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's just... I'd win every time. Yeah, That'd same, be actually. fantastic. We should beard party. We should do that. Yeah, beard party. I mean, Tom Walker has a better beard than you and didn't, That's work, a lie. didn't work so hot for him. He only That's needed 35 true. more seats. <laughs> but I mean, I, that said... <clears throat> One of us is going to be unemployed soon, and the other isn't. So, mm. actually, that's not true. I'm pretty much unemployed. Right <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does the NDP is looking for a leader, right? There, indeed. I mean, they, their history with bearded leaders. I mean, you need. Do you, do you have thirty grand sitting around? Like, uh, that's a... you know what I did recently? I paid off my student loan. Oh, in cash, all in one go. So not not anymore. No. Oh. Thirty grand? Is that what it is? I think so. It might be. It's a it's is a thirty, 30 grand thirty grand buy. -in. I think thirty. Really? You okay. can only you can only contribute like. Three thousand or fifteen hundred or whatever it is to your own campaign, though. More than that, but twenty five hundred. I said I said between fifteen and three thousand. So three thousand is smaller than fifteen. Yeah, you said more than that, so it's, it's yeah. in between. It's twenty five. Look, that you can anyway, not twenty not twenty five thousand. Yeah, it is. Why no, do I not. say nice things about unions? Though? No, no, no. unions are good. It's, yeah. it's not. I'm, it's I not like twenty five thousand. Doesn't matter. I'm, I'm gonna push you on this one. Okay. 
We can we'll put it in the show notes. Because because it goes against campaigning rules in Canada writ large. You can mm. like you can incur debt and I've never really yes, figured out how to do Yes, sorry, it's like loan guarantees. Yeah, you can do loan guarantees, but okay. your actual personal donation limits. Okay, are the but same. that's like are there like a loan guarantee low. and donations. I can't bankroll academic. my own campaign either way. You don't you don't need to. Well, do you do you have any asset? No. <laughs> no, like not really. I'm in education, <laughs> damn it. Uh, yeah, I have a PhD, but I mean, you know. The bank does not accept diplomas as uh <laughs> They don't. Do you guys, do you guys give out cash? <laughs> I have a rent-controlled apartment in Vancouver, which Ooh, I feel like that's actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like a reasonably priced Vancouver apartment in Kitsilano. Oh damn! So it's not so bad. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, actually, I've been thinking about uh, like my future a lot recently, and thought like as one does at the end yeah, of PhD. Yeah, you got you know you start to do some soul searching. I thought, could I ever imagine myself running for office at some level? I was like, which party? Right, it's tough. Mm, yeah. you, know. you, all got, you always got stuff. You got to pick um, one. You double down and you treat it like a sports team. And then you, yeah, you, you cheer their victories, you win their team. losses. Yeah. yeah, their their blood is yours. Your blood is theirs. But so. as as a as a writer and a commentator, I like to remind folks that my partisan affiliation is whichever party you the truth, hate damn it. Yeah. is the <laughs> one I'm in good. favor of, and I'm mostly funded by George Soros. Yeah. and I'm coming to take your freedom. Or Donald Trump, but the other way around. Or if it's Donald or Trump, Putin on or, whoever. or yeah, or Putin, or yeah, whoever and we're mad at. Whoever you don't like, that's whoever you don't like is the person that's funding me. Um, I get called all kinds of things. That's great. That's how you know you're doing it right. Yeah. If you're, you know, this this is one of the problems I've always had. Uh, in speaking to Canadian media. Commentators, we make everyone mad. It's good. Is, is that's a common refrain? Yeah. And it's like, okay, but like, if let, I made let, everyone let's mad, let's talk volumes here because yeah. you can go on like an article written by the most conservative person in yeah. Canada, and people are like, "You're not conservative enough. You're a dipper in disguise." Mm-hmm. People call Andrew Coyne that all the time. Yeah. Well, because he endorsed them, I think that's well, he's commonly yeah. mistaken for an NDP supporter, mm-hmm. and it's like just. Random people on Twitter are probably not a good metric. No, no, no. That's the thing. Like, where of, the public thinks your yeah. stance is. A lot of a lot of Twitter pundits get by on like, ah, oh, well, I can dunk eggs, so like, I'm clearly the best around. And it's like, dude, dunking eggs is not actually very hard. I don't, I don't know what the fuck. Is like, like it's not eggs anymore. Oh, that's they true. They changed, changed it. it. But like, random. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. I was I was merging basketball with no, like culinary yeah. things. I yeah. had no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, yeah. but like that's uh, the thing. A random egg calls you like, oh, you're a commie. <laughs> you're, you're a commie. You're a cuck. You're a socialist. Yeah. Oh, you're a dipper. Like everything along the yeah. spectrum. If if one or two people call you that, that doesn't, I in my opinion, constitute like a good defense of no your yeah. political sp- stance. Like. I'm not biased because, you know, I this person... Call, I got called a yeah. cuck the other day. I got called a cuck, and I got called a, like, a conservative, like, a reformicon, so... Oh, I mean, people... I, I, I am, I'm non-partisan, I'm a neutral Well, I'm not, yeah, so I'm non-partisan in the sense that, like, I'm politically left, and, and people know that, and I have commitments to social justice, and I'm fine with higher taxes, and blah, 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 blah. Oops, they're good. They're good. good. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but, but, that said, when it comes to partisan politics in the sense of critiquing parties I'm like there are things about the Harper government I liked there are things about the liberal government I liked although I've been hard on what, both of those what was your favorite thing about the Harper government um well I, I was saying this earlier I, I, I admire the initial response to the, the terrorist attack on Parliament Hill a few years ago that's not particularly substantive but I also really liked the TFSA, and I know it gets a lot of, I know it gets slapped around <laughs> a lot. economists a, do like they to, don't uh, like it. I really like the TFSA, and I used it, and I, you know what I did? I, I paid off my student loan with money I had in the TFSA, and I, you know, I am not upper class folk. I mean, I mean, as a person, 
top shelf. <laughs> <laughs> I make normal amounts of money. Yeah. You know uh, when when I do. So you know I, I really liked the, the the TFSA quite a bit, and I liked Harper pushing hard on Putin. I really I liked the stance that he took on on Putin. I admired that quite a bit actually. Yeah. So you know I mean I then there were lots of things I didn't like, and you can look yeah. them up. But I, mean, I was actually dating a woman once, and we stopped at a gas station. We we're on a trip, and I remember her saying to me like, "So uh, I'd been complaining about Harper." So tell me some things you like about him. And you know what's interesting is I think, you know, that doesn't mean not everyone has to like everything about everyone or even yeah. anything about anyone, but you should have had, you should have thought about the yeah. question. You know, I really admire folks who can, who can go across and say, okay, here's some good stuff too. And, and did it with the liberals. Because um, I was pretty hard on the liberals in 2014, 2015. And, and you know, I, for instance, I didn't love what happened on electoral reform, but you know, yeah. I support the carbon tax. And it's yeah, it's a, the PCS. <laughs> Yeah, one what, what of my favorite... I think the federal NDP is a mess, by the way. One of my favorite uh, examples, and this is actually one of the questions I was asked when I was interviewing uh, the first time on the Hill, is what is a policy you disagree with of our party? Hmm. And I, I think it's a very good question. Yeah, and I've like seen that. candidates be asked it during uh, town hall debates and that sort of thing. It is a good question to ask people. And they struggle with it often because they don't feel comfortable or they well, just never thought about it. Well, if it goes on the news and they're the guy who derailed yeah, the campaign. so they have to play the game of saying like, oh, this policy doesn't go quite far enough. Or like t- taking some, <laughs> uh, soft, road. <laughs> some soft position on it. Yeah. But I, I think it is always interesting when you're talking to someone to say like, what is the policy you like most from you know your natural opponent, or yeah. what is something you yeah. disagree with yeah. most about your party? Hmm. And anyone who hesitates and like, oh, you know, there's there's nothing, or like, so it's not just they're, what are your they're worst partisans qualities? first yeah. and policy like yeah. tenth. Otherwise, it's what are your worst qualities? Well, I work too hard, I love <laughs> too much, I'm way too smart. Sometimes my brain overheats and I gotta walk outside for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely. And look. I have nice things to say about almost everyone. Except almost. Except for J.J. McCullough. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> or Ezra White. Anyway, but, David. Or Ezra. His, his cartoons are very good, though. Uh, his actually, his, his like, intro to Canada Guide is surprisingly good. and like. Yeah, I saw that. It was pretty good. J.J., that was pretty good. Good yeah. for you, man. Anyway, David, thanks so much for joining us. Dr. Muskrat. Ooh, uh, yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, it's been a pleasure. This has been a one-take blast out, so that's always fun when we can do that. It saves me editing time, which is great. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. It's been fun. We did we did the whole psychology, politics, religion, all of it. It's great. And now I get to go to Ottawa's beautiful Byword Market to have a drink. There Enjoy you yourself. go. So join me. You've earned it. Thanks for listening this week, folks. Bye. <laughs>